right, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Saturday Standouts. Um, tonight, we are going to be breaking down the Pac-12 for you and the top teams there and their record predictions um, this upcoming season. And with me, as always, I have my co-host here and Sam Daring. Um, and just a real quick shout out before you say what's up to the people, Sam. Um, if you guys look down there at the bottom of the ticker, we got a couple promos going um, with some of our sponsors here with mybookie.ag. Head over there. Um, type in the code USN100 and get double your first deposit. Um, it's the minimum of $50. So go ahead, head over and do that. As well as RX Hemp, um, great CBD, um, all natural cream that helps with pain. Um, head over there, get 10% off your um, first or every purchase. Um, so it's awesome with code RX Hemp USN. Um, that's just pretty plain and simple. Um, great stuff all around. If you bet like myself, uh, I know a bunch of people out there in LA and California and everything do as well. Shout out Perry. Um, but go ahead and say what's up to the people, Sam, before we get going. Yeah, what's going on? Uh, can't wait. We got the Pac-12 tonight. Uh, Caleb and I got some uh, exciting stuff to break down after the Pac-12, and I'm really excited to uh, you know dive deeper into uh, all of this. So, yeah, finishing off with the Pac-12. Uh, I guess, Perry, this is your conference, man. So, ASU, ASU proud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, super. Um, I don't really know a whole lot about the Pac-12, so, you know, I know you don't necessarily either. You're a Big Ten guy and I'm ACC, and it's just, you know, one of those things we kind of got to hit and, you know, kind of do our research on as much as we can. But excited um, to get that going and everything like that. So hopefully uh, we don't, you know, mess up too much tonight. But we'll go ahead and get things going um, with our first team, and that's going to be the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, and there's there's some teams in this Pac-12 conference that I like deeper into. Um, Oregon Ducks, like you mentioned, they lost Justin Herbert. Um, Justin Herbert. Obviously not the most mobile quarterback, but we have seen we've seen his talent, and I think he's obviously going into a really nice situation over um, with the Los Angeles Chargers. Um, Oregon's big loss was to Arizona State last year, and they lucked out. And we were talking about their schedule. I I don't ducks yeah ducks over Paris Sun Devils absolutely. Um, but I mean, there's I don't necessarily think this the way they made this schedule six game season. Um, I don't think the schedules are awful. I just think there's some teams that lucked out and Oregon lucked out, not playing ASU. I think ASU is a talented team, um, but we'll obviously get to them um, in a, pretty soon or in a bit here. Um, but ASU is not on Oregon's schedule this year. And Oregon had the second best offense in the PAC 12. Uh, they're led by CJ Verdell. Um, CJ Verdell is one of the running back prospects in this, in this upcoming draft. And I was, I think I was, I had this conversation with a few people and I think you were one of them is outside of Travis Etienne. I don't really see anyone Etienne and Chuba Hubbard. I don't really see anyone in the NFL that can be an RB one. I think the third one that I'm thinking that can be the closest one is maybe is Najee Harris. Najee Harris is already, he's, he's literally on an almost super team offense. It's amazing what Matt Jones has been able to work with over there. Um, but back to Oregon, I mean, Oregon had the second best offense in the Pac-12, 433 yards a game of average. Justin Herbert threw, threw for over 3,000 yards his um, his past two seasons. After the first, after his junior season, um, he shocked the NFL world, or he shocked the college football world, I should say, and um, you know stayed in or stayed back at Oregon and he was drafted he's still drafted in the top 10 he I don't really think his stock really dropped and I mean there's players a lot that kind of fall for no apparent reason not really any mm -hmm. like off the field issues or diluted samples or stuff like that um, but their offense is now going to be led by Tyler Shaw and so Tyler Shaw played four games last season um and, and he had a, you know which what's, what's that in mop up duty Yep. Yep. I was about to bring up on um, blowouts. And yep. <laughs> you didn't see much of him. Um, obviously, uh, similar to Justin Herbert, um, he wasn't very mobile. Um, he has shown flashes of his high school mobility. So maybe we'll get to see that um, pretty quick here as the season gets going. If not, with, if not during this six game season, maybe next season. Um, but he's young and there's some Pac-12. There's like the Pac-12 has a lot of talented young quarterbacks and I think Tyler Shaw has a chance to, you know, really solidify himself as a QB one in a part of that offense. And his high school stats are impressive. Like I mentioned, he put up three, three touchdowns, um, which isn't overly impressive, but it shows that he's capable of being that mobile quarterback. 
And um, CJ Verdell has shown consistency throughout the past two seasons. Like I said about the RB one, um, I think he's got the talent to be in the backfield as, you know, maybe splitting carries being that role player in the NFL backfield. But that's ultimately, ultimately CJ Verdell is the big guy that's returning on the Oregon offense. And they're going to be led by a new quarterback in Tyler Shaw. Yeah. Uh, they return a lot of skill position players from what I'm, what I'm reading. Um, I mean, <clears throat> Like pretty much all of their skill position skill position players are back. Verdell to begin with, back to back one thousand yard rushing season. So mm-hmm. I mean that can kind of take a toll on a back. So we'll see if he can, you know, keep it going. But they've got, you know, a couple of good options there on the back end as well with Travis Dye and Cyrus Habibi Lakio, who combined for almost a thousand yards. They were just five yards short. So um and then uh Lakio uh scored ten touchdowns by himself last year behind Verdell. So um, they've got, you know, the pieces that do it. Their wide receivers are good. You got Johnny Johnson the third and and Jalen Red, who are coming back as well, who who were both great, great last year. Pittman, um, all these guys are have high ceilings too. I mean, they they highly recruited players. And so ultimately, um, what it's really gonna come down to for that Oregon offense is gonna be, you know, the play of their offensive line because they're having to replace four starters there. They do return um the Allen trophy winner and Panay Sowell. Um, so, I mean, that's good for them to have, you know, that leader being back, but, um, that's a hard thing to do period is to replace four starters on that offensive line, as well as bringing in a whole new quarterback. They did go out and get the transfer from, I think it was Boston college, but I think, uh, Anthony Brown is his name, but he had, um, he's had two like knee surgeries or something like that. So, I mean, that gives them a little bit, you know, more options when it comes to, you know, being able to run Tyler, Tyler show, shall, um, however you say his name. Um, so they can run him a little bit more because, you know, he's not the stature. He doesn't have the big arm that we're, that they're known for with Herbert. So it'll be a different looking offense. And ultimately it, I think this team, this Oregon team this year, instead of what we're used to, because usually we're used to, you know, a very potent, high powered, lots of scoring, um, offensive coming Oregon. Instead, I think they're going to have to rely more, on the defensive side of the ball and it's going to be their second year under offensive coordinator, Andy Avalos or defensive yeah. coordinator. Excuse me. Yeah. And then in terms of their passing game, before we kind of switch over to maybe season predictions or almost standout guys on their defense, um, you mentioned Johnny Johnston and I want to make a point about CJ Riddell is guys that are in the passing game. We've seen flashes of him in the passing game. Um, they're not very promising stats, but, um, they show that he's capable of it. And in terms of Johnny Johnston, Johnny Johnston III, um, coming off of 836 and seven touchdowns. So, and he he took a pretty decent step forward. I don't recall what he had. I think the season before he had like, what, I think it's between, somewhere between two and 300 yards um, of, of reception yards. Um, so Johnny Johnston III is, that is the one guy that I really thought of um, in that wide receiver room for Oregon that, took that nice step forward and I from the stats he had last year I see no problem why he could not break a thousand I mean he's he was just he was not that far off from a thousand at all um but yeah I mean going over to their defense I told you this before we went on air so there's two players in the Pac-12 that I'm really really intrigued by and one of them plays for Oregon and his name is Kayvon Thibodeau Kayvon Thibodeau was a freshman last year, had 35 total ta- total tackles and nine sacks. His freshman season, he is an absolute. I don't even think he, did he start all that? Did he start all season? I think he was like more of a, like they swapped him in and out. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he was more of like a role player to the point where he started um, as the season progressed, but right. like 35 total and nine sacks, freshman season alone. Like I have no. He, I, I think he's going to take some really nice leaps forward. If he keeps progressing, he could be first round talent going into his his draft class. Oh yeah, um, he's an absolute animal. I mean, he was the number one overall recruit I think two years ago. Um, I remember he was on Florida State's campus at one point and everything. But it was pretty much a lock him coming from the West Coast that he was going to go to Oregon. So um, he, you can just tell by the tape when he was coming out of high school that he was just going to be you know a special talent, and he's shown it. Like you said, in he started, you know, to start towards the end of the year. But I mean, putting up those numbers and on a not a regular starting basis, that's something out of a freshman you really like to see. And you can only expect that progression to become even more when it comes to his numbers. And obviously, the dude's a freak of nature and he's going to test out of the waters when it does come time for him to go to the NFL. But it's great 
about this Oregon defense is they had to start, you know, a lot of guys last year that didn't go to the NFL. I mean, they lost one guy who is, you know, their quarterback or whatever you want to call them of, of the defense and linebacker, uh, Troy die. Um, but mm-hmm. they're returning guys. Like you said, Kayvon Thibodeau is coming back. Um, cornerback, Michael Wright, and you got Brady breeze. There's your safety there. Um, and they were all big playmakers. Uh, I think it was in the Rose bowl. When they Actually, played Wisconsin. sorry to interrupt you. I, I saw no, the other day, good. Brady breeze opted out. Um, he just opted oh, out like, actually like early the other day. Yeah. Um, so that's a decent loss. And actually, I forgot to bring this up. You brought up Panay Sewell. I'm not sure if you um, read up on this guy, but they recruited his cousin. Noah Sewell is a linebacker. He is right. a, he is a machine. Like he like he is a highlight real player. Um, so was I'm he, really, the top in it? he was in the top of the top linebacker, wasn't he? Yeah. Like he was one of their top recruits. Yeah. And Justin Flo, too. Mm-hmm. They're both linebackers. I believe yep. that they both got those guys and both like the one or two best inside linebackers or linebackers mm-hmm. in the country. So, I mean, that's huge for them to replace, even with, you know, guys that are leaving and stuff like that. And you replace them with that. Um, I mean, Isaac Slay, <laughs> Metautia, um, I'm butchering that name, but um, nice little junior to step in and replace Die for him leaving. Um, and then the biggest question mark, I guess, is going to be that secondary because they lose, like you said, um, Brady Breeze leaving the safety. That's going to be a question mark. And then, you know, they've got two cornerbacks that are seniors and th- that are right there. But um, there's other players. They don't really have a lot of depth there and a lot of, a lot of, not a lot of guys who have seen time or action back in on the secondary. So it's going to be, you know, hit or miss once those guys come out. And, I mean, God forbid somebody get injured and you have to throw somebody in there without even having any experience. That I mean, that'd be the worst thing. But like I said before, um, it's they're going to have to rely on their defense. I think more mm-hmm. this year, more than they have in the past. So um, I don't know if that bodes well for them this year, depending on their schedule. But let's go ahead and take a look. Yeah, and I mean, like I had mentioned before too, with their loss being to ASU, um, they lucked out not playing them. And this team really doesn't have that tough of a schedule. And like you kind of alluded to as well, they don't, they're not losing. They, the, their biggest loss was Justin Herbert on their defense or on their offense. They lost um, Justin Herbert, Calvin Throck, Calvin Throckmorton, um, Jacob Breland. And, but they still return some like reliable stud receivers like Johnny Johnson, the third who can take that even bigger leap forward and potentially break a thousand yards. Um, depending on Tyler Shaw's production. And obviously you mentioned Brady Breeze opting out. And they have Kayvon Thibodeau who could break out within these next two seasons. Um, but ultimately I have them going 6-0. and And my okay. most intriguing game is against Washington. And I'm going to have very similar reasonings to my reasoning or for the intriguing game at Washington because they end the season again at Washington against Washington. And I know it's only a six game season. That's part of the reason why I'm kind of making my point. And the Oregon one is it's a six game season. And with these times like Jake Sermon, we haven't, we didn't, we haven't seen much of Jake Sermon. And if I remember correctly, he wasn't very mobile in high school. Um, I think it was Tyler Shaw that I was kind of looking into, um, Jake Sermon wasn't the most mobile quarterback, but he has the arm talent. Um, And he is a sophomore, I think. Yes, he is. I I think he is sophomore. Um, But ultimately, I pick this um, because we'll get to Washington in a bit here, but the the big part of Washington is their secondary. And Elijah Molden is a big part of of their secondary core. Um, like the face of their secondary right now. But ultimately, because of that, I think this game will be um, a little bit closer than people think. And I think Oregon wins this game, but ultimately I think Oregon goes undefeated 6-0. I I definitely probably – I 100% agree with you. I see Oregon going 6-0 here. Um, My game that I am choosing to pick out of here as one that I think is going to be maybe a test for them is going to be that road game right before they play Washington, and that's going to be at Cal. Um, Cal looked like an improved team last year um, to me. I mean, I believe they went 8-5. and five. Um, So we'll see how they do it. We're not really going over Cal tonight, but I, I know Cal is, you know, a better team than they have been. Um, UCLA 
could be a problem too. But I mean, with Oregon being at home, I don't see that being a problem. And that Washington game as well. But other than that, it doesn't seem like really too tough of a schedule for Oregon to be able to handle. I ultimately think that Cal game will be close to both, like you're mentioning with the Washington. I think those two games in the season are, are a little bit tough for mm-hmm. Oregon, especially with, you know, a new quarterback and depending on what happens in the four games prior, what's it going to look like by that time in the season? Again, it's only a six-game season for the Pac-12. So, I mean, much like how the Big Ten did, you know, this favors their teams, you know, getting into, you know, yeah. the national conversation of rankings and everything like that. So, I mean, it bodes well for them. Only having six games keeps the guys healthy. Uh, hopefully there's no uh, some, you know, 6-0 like you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I know uh, we're not talking about Cal, but, like, Cal has a lot of returning guys too. So, mm-hmm. Obviously, that's a conversation for another time. But, yeah, I mean, Cal, I feel like, just has guys that nobody really knows about, and they all of a sudden just show out. I mean, the big guy that I'm thinking of, there's the rest of their quarterback. I'm trying to remember his name. I just found it the other, like, earlier. Um, I'll think of it, but we can move on to our next team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so our next team, our next team is going to be um, that intriguing matchup that you were talking about um, this past time with Oregon, <clears> and that's – going to be the Washington Huskies. Yeah, I'll let you start with this one. All right, so uh, Washington um, coming off an 8-5 and five season last year. Uh, I expected them to do better, honestly, with Jacob Eason being at the helm. So obviously, you know, that's a huge loss, especially with Chris Peterson, their head coach. I thought they were going to be able to do better. That didn't happen. Chris Peterson is retired or stepped down. I don't know what the deal was with that. He didn't really, didn't really get a lot of, you know, clarification on – why he stepped down or if there was something going on, if there was whatever, I don't know. He wasn't there for very long, but I mean, it was just real weird situation and incomes, you know, hiring from it within uh, Jimmy Lake. So is his replacement and he was the team's former defensive coordinator. So you see what direction the Huskies are going in. I mean, I think Chris Peterson was more of an offensive minded coach, if I believe so that'll be good. Um, their defense returns seven starters. So that's good for, you know, with Jimmy Lake taking over because he knows that defense and he's going to be a defensive head coach here. Um, two of those defensive players were two first team all pack 12 selections and quarterback Elijah Molden and defensive <clears throat> tackle Levy Awuzurike. Um, So that should be, you know, their solid strength this year is going to be the defensive side of the ball. And obviously, like I said before, Jacob Eason gone to the NFL now. He's with the Colts, I believe. Um, you probably know yep. more about where he is. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, so that's obviously going to be the biggest question mark for this Washington offense. Yeah, definitely. Like It's very similar to Oregon where they're, they're under a new quarterback regime. And unlike Justin Herbert, Jacob Eason is really interesting to me because, one, he's not mobile at all. He's a dual threat quarterback, but he's not mobile at all. He has the arm talent. But two, if you look at his tape from Washington, he had a strong start his first few games, but then he started to fall off with his inconsistency and his decision-making. So that kind of leads me to believe that he should have stayed back a year at Washington. Um, But that can be another draft topic for another time. But like it's very similar to Oregon. They're under a new quarterback realm, and Jake Sermon was – I was like looking over his stats like earlier today and he has really <laughs> progressed. Um, he has really progressed throughout his high school years. His freshman year, he threw 11 interceptions and his accuracy, his accuracy has improved very much and he's progressed into a, a really top notch player. And um, he went from 11. I think he threw two interceptions as sophomore or his second year. And then his final year, he threw five interceptions so yeah, at the accuracy the accuracy issues do pose some level of concern, um, but obviously throughout high school he has proven that. Um, but he just needs he needs to prove it on the field. We like I mentioned when we were talking about Oregon, we have not seen him, we haven't seen much of him. Um, but he has impressive tape to show from high school. But the big thing is we have not seen much of him. We've seen more. We've seen more of Tyler Shaw than we've seen more than we have. <laughs> I was going to so, say, hey, hasn't Sermon only thrown like three passes? <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, he exactly. started saying, I was looking at his stats. I was like, what? <laughs> no, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and actually you mentioned, so multiple guys coming back. Elijah Vera Tucker, which we'll get to USC in just a bit here. Elijah Vera Tucker just announced the report came out 22 hours ago that he's coming back. 
Levi Awozuike opted out, but now the season there, they had like a, about a month now to, um, you know, decide if they want to opt back in. And will Levi be one of those guys in the Pac-12 that'll opt back in? Um, Panay Sewell, I view him like Micah Parsons. He has nothing else to prove because um, he opted out. Um, I'm not sure if he, unless, he, unless I misread something and s- saw that he was returning, but I know he opted out. Um, okay. But he's just, I view him like Micah Parsons. I think he's a top five pick. He's to one of the best uh, NFL prospects in this draft. He has nothing left, nothing else to prove. Um, and that was, that was uh, Ozarike? Um, Panay Sewell, I'm you- sorry, yeah. Ozarike, I I posed the question of, will he be one of those Pac-12 guys that returns? Gotcha. Um, And the big guy, like I mentioned, is earlier, the big guy that I'm looking at on this defense is Elijah Molden. He came off of 79 tackles last season. He went from 29 29 tackles to 79 tackles. He made a really nice leap, and he's progressed. He's he's progressed really well, and I, I I think he might be in for a breakout year. Even though it's just six games, yeah, uh, they're gonna have to rely on their defense. They only return four starters on the offensive side of the ball, but they do have a bunch of guys who got playing time. So that's that bodes well for them that they can slot these guys and see if they can be willing to take that next step. So that's where their question mark is. Their defense is you, you don't have to worry about them um, returning ten guys from last year. Freshman heavy secondary they got brutalized last year, if I remember correctly. So them coming in to their sophomore seasons, you should be able to see improvement, um, whether it be a lot, I don't know, even a little bit should improve for them. Um, they looked good in certain situations last year, but like you said, Molden making that leap, 79 tackles from 29 is incredible. That's a huge jump. And he also came in with four picks, earned all conference <clears throat> honors. Um, he's an elite player. He's, he's tough guy, he plays very physical. Um, and then, you know, Ozarike, um, great leverage, great hands, knows how to use them when he is, is trying to get to the quarterback and get there in the backfield and everything like that. So, I mean, bringing back safeties, Cam Williams and Aza Turner, corners, Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon, um, all with starts last year as, as freshmen. That's pretty powerful to, you know, get those guys playing time early in their careers. So that way, you know, <clears throat> by the time they're juniors or seniors, these guys are very experienced. They know how to play the game. They know <laughs> – and I say this over and over again, they know how to look back for the ball when they're playing in man coverage. So like, that's a huge thing. Um, they've got senior defensive tackle, Josiah Bronson. Um, and then on the edges, Ryan Bowman and junior um, Joe Tyron. So all big guys, big frames, sacks. And, and they're just, it's just going to be, you know, a very solid defense here with guys returning vets. Um, not all vets are still in their classmen, but I mean, they're veterans. If you've got starts as freshmen, that's pretty big. The weakest part, I guess, would be like their inside linebacker play and see, you know, what's going to happen there. I know they got a walk on um, who worked his way into the starting lineup there. I don't know his name, but I, I read up upon him. So um, I think they'll they'll be fine on defense. I just don't know what that offense is going to bring for them um, because the guys that did play, they didn't necessarily put up great numbers or anything. But that's to be expected from guys who don't get a lot of playing time when you had a lot of upperclassmen there. Yeah, definitely. And my most intriguing game here. I kind of want to give very different points, but I'll let you start with the record here. Yeah. Let me go ahead and bring up the schedule for everybody to see um, before we go over these. So here we go right here. So you see, uh, I mean, you start with Cal, then you got Oregon state, Arizona, Washington state, Stanford, and Oregon. Um, So it's not necessarily an easy schedule in my opinion. You know how I feel about Cal. Um, I think they're a better team, but I would say they probably go, oh, man. I'm thinking they're going to go probably three and three um, this year. Uh, maybe not. I think they'll probably go two and four, actually. It's going to be a down year for Washington. That offense is, is really worrisome, in my opinion. So I have their losses being to Cal to start the year, Arizona in that third game, Stanford, and Oregon. So their only two wins coming against Oregon State and Washington State. Um, the intriguing matchup I have for them is probably going to be um, that game right before they play Oregon and Stanford, because those two teams, in my opinion, are, you know, right around each other. Stanford wasn't that all, all that impressive last year. They were actually had a really bad down year. So um, I think they're right around the same, you know, caliber when it comes to the Pac-12 here. And I mean, that can change your, change your season from a 500 team 
to a below 500 team. Not that it matters for when it comes to, you know, bowl selection or anything, because anybody's going to be able to get in the bowl <laughs> this year. So um, I, that's my intriguing game. I think it's just going to be a good matchup overall. Yeah. And based on like the way this team is built right now, you mentioned this team lost some really key pieces to this offense and to the team as a whole. And the big question obviously arises to the defense is will Levi Ozarika come back? I have them going three and three. Um, I've got very similar losses to you. I have them lose or as you, um, I have them losing to California. I have them losing to Oregon. Um, and I have them losing to, I think I had wide Washington state and my most intriguing game is Oregon. Um, very similar. <laughs> Jake Sermon's got the couple games under his belt, but I also want to point out when I, when I viewed this, um, I, I see this more as a defensive battle. Uh, mm -hmm. Because you have two very young quarterbacks um, going into, I mean, a six-game season a, a, with very limited fans. And, like, I know we say that, like, we they should play with no fans. But, like, if you're the player, like, we can't – like, if we put ourselves in our shoes, you see how much of a difference that really makes. And, like, look at, like, look at the NBA playoffs. Like, they were putting in, like, virtual fans. They were putting in, like, 2K noise. Like, that crowd noise <laughs> really makes – like a huge difference. And I think this is ultimately going to be a defensive battle. And I was actually torn between um, two of them. I picked Oregon, um, but my other intriguing game right behind it was California, um, their opener. And be because of all those young players and there's talent, those talented guys. Another thing to point out, their offense is like the majority of their offense, like starting caliber guys, a lot of sophomores, a lot of underclassmen. That's about half of their offensive depth chart right mm -hmm. there. A lot of sophomores and Jake Sermon's going into his sophomore season. Again, we've seen, we've seen like less than 10 passes from him the entire season because Jacob Eason was on the field and he was reliable. Um, but ultimately, I, I, I think Washington goes three and three. Um, I think this will be a little bit of a, maybe a hiccup year, a six-game season. Um, I think I think this is a defensive battle. Yeah, uh, I don't blame you there. <laughs> I originally wanted to go three and three. I just don't know. Um, I'm stuck on on that offense. It really bothers me. I'm not real sure where it's going to go from there. I mean, it, it could be better than I expect, and you know, I'll come back and eat my words at some point. <laughs> But, I mean, that's to be decided. Um, I'm excited for it to, like, get underway because Washington is always, you know, one of those teams that kind of just hangs around. And, you know, they, they do and usually have, like, a pretty decent season. Um, it's usually – sometimes it's really good. It just depends on, you know, how they look. And the question marks for me is you got a whole new coach. You know, you know, mm -hmm. um, with everything, you got a brand-new quarterback. So, you, you got a lot of mesh points where you don't know what's going to happen. And ultimately it could go extremely well for them, or it could go, it could snowball into a dumpster fire. Like you, you, we don't know. Um, and that's really where I'm at when it comes to, you know, these two teams. And it's not team. like this, right. And it's not like this team is going in. Like it's not like this new head coach is going into a team that has absolutely nothing to work with. He has pieces to work with, but at the same time, he also has, positions that also leave big shoes to fill and Jacob Beeson, I wouldn't say it's a huge shoe to fill, but Jacob Beeson's a pretty big loss. Mm. It, it's a huge loss. And that's, I mean, it's, it's a big loss. He didn't light the world on fire. Like we all thought he was going to at Washington, but it's, it's enough of a loss for it to be where it is now. And for us yeah. to question it. Yep. Um, but we're going to move on from Washington and we'll go over to everybody's favorite Pac-12 team. <laughs> And that's uh, the USC Trojans. Yeah, this is really intriguing because um, his freshman year, Keaton Slovis had over 3,500 passing yards and 30 touchdowns. And this is a very similar situation to look at Florida. Felipe Franks goes down, Kyle Trask goes off, and now they're now they're calling Kyle Trask the Joe Burrow of this <laughs> season. Um, that can be another conversation. But, I mean, Kyle Trask, don't get me wrong, Kyle Trask is – putting on a real impressive show. Like, I mean, I don't care if he's got absolute studs like Tony, Trevin Grimes, Kyle Pitts, but Kyle Trask is really put on a show. But Keaton Slovis, JT Daniels goes down. Keaton Slovis comes in, plays 12 games, 3,500 yards, over 3,500 yards, and 30 touchdowns. Um, and he 
is capable of his mobility, I should say. And he's really patient in the pocket. And he also has a cannon of an arm. And I think my QB1 for 22 is Sam Howell. But if this guy really progresses the way he does, I think he has a chance to make a case for QB1 at 2022. I think this guy's really, really talented. And I don't think his talent... I think he 100% is, has the capability of being first-round talent in his draft class if he keeps this up. Um, the big opt-out for them was Jay Tafeli. Um, Jay Tafeli is coming off 41 tackles, three and a half sacks in 2019. He's explosive with his hands. You mentioned that with Levi Ovesawike. Jay, Jay Tafeli is a big technique guy as well. And um, they also lost Michael Pittman Jr., which I know Perry loves him. We, I mean, he was <laughs> – absolute stud i wanted him in green bay we've seen him make those contested catches with ease but then you bring in amon ross st brown amon ross st brown was an absolute stud and very similar to some other schools like minnesota tyler or rashad bateman put up those numbers or i shouldn't say rashad bateman tyler johnson put up those numbers um basically two having two receivers in the spotlight and obviously usc is a pass heavy offense they bring back amon ross st brown and they bring back Keaton Slovis, um, the big key guys on their offensive side of the ball. And they also bring back Elijah Vera Tucker. And Austin Jackson's their big loss. I'll be honest with you, I was a little bit surprised that Austin Jackson was drafted in the first round. Um, I think he 100% has the talent to be the franchise cornerstone tackle. He's athletic. And like J like Elijah Vera Tucker, um, Austin, or like Austin Jackson – Elijah Vera Tucker is also athletic, but Elijah Vera Tucker is even more versatile. Elijah Vera Tucker was, I mean, I, I think he can excel at all five places on the, on the line. And I think going into this season, I think if I, if I read it correct, I, I think they had him viewed, lined up as a tackle um, going into this season. But I love Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, he has very quick feet. He moves really well given his size. Um, but I love Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, like I mentioned earlier in the episode, he is coming back. They reported it 22 hours ago. Um, but yeah, USC's got some studs coming back on their offense. Yeah, uh, their offense is going to be lethal um, mm -hmm. this year. Um, so we're kind of seeing a revamping of you know the whole USC university and program as a whole. Starts at the top with the president, um, going all the way to the, to the AD, and so that's going to make I know they kept Clay Helton, but that's going to make his seat even hotter than it's been, in my opinion, because at this point you've been through at least this is your second AD that you're going on. I think it might have been – I mean, there was something weird that happened. I think it might have been his third AD or something crazy. And there's just – USC was a mess, and they're trying to get over, you know, the whole scandals that they've had in the past, and they just have never been able to get over that hump of that. So they're, you know, revamping everything. And it's it's – I'm excited to see what it does, especially with – what they have on offense now, you know, they moved to a more impressive air raid system or so you call it with offensive coordinator, Graham Harrell there now. So um, awesome. We know, we all know who Graham Harrell is. Um, so they moved up 48 spots in, in yards per play from the previous season. And they ranked that ranked them 15 <clears throat> nationally, which is pretty incredible with, you know, Slovis coming in behind center and nobody really knew what was going to happen. Everybody thought JT Daniels was going to be the guy and, you know, but it didn't end up being that way. And Slovis kind of took the reins and just ran with them. Um, like you were saying, he's, he's got an arm he's got, and he's also got, you know, the legs to, you know, be mobile outside the pocket when he needs to be their skill position room are stacked. I mean, senior running backs and Vive Malapai and Stephen Carr, are going to, you know, hold that down. You don't have to have anybody that really, you know, has to like really step up there. So you, you can have running back by committee, whoever's hot, feed the hot hand. But their, their wide receiver room is perhaps one of the deepest I have ever seen. Um, you already spoke on Almond Ross St. Brown. He's, he's an animal. Um, Tyler Vaughn's is still there. Uh, you got Drake London, who, who also plays basketball for him, had five touchdowns. He's an option, huge option on the outside go up and get it type guy. And then you bring in former, and then you have former five-star recruit, Brew McCoy, who, who is still on the team. And we haven't even seen what he is possibly going to be able to do. 
So, and then you, you Kyle Ford too. So, I mean, you've got guy after guy after guy after guy there in that wide receiver room. You could easily just, hey, slot this guy in. You could go five wide every time in this system and run first if you want to and just see who gets open and throw it to him. It's going to be amazing to watch it. Their core three guys up front are going to be huge. You already spoke on, on Vera Tucker. He's all all Pac-12 first teamer. Um, fellow starter Jalen McKenzie side uh, tackle spots as long as Andrew Voorhees is healthy we'll see with him coming back as well so um, Brett Nealon always just being their center so stacked <clears throat> like you were saying they're absolutely loaded on the offensive yeah. side of the ball and that's where it comes to um, their defensive side of the ball and that's really where USC has had issues so my first intriguing guy was Kayvon Thibodeau my second intriguing player is the safety out of USC and that is Talanoa Hufanga. Talano Hufanga is a tackling machine. I think it was like 70 or something tackles or 90. Um, 90 total tackles and three and a half sacks in 2019. He is so versatile. Like there, people were even like viewing him as a hybrid role player. Like he is like he the one that, if I remember correctly, is he the one that like almost every game he would like kill somebody and create a turnover? Yeah, and like that's the thing too is like you talked about Richard LeCount being that guy that just comes out of nowhere on Georgia, which yeah. is definitely true. <laughs> that is Hufanga, man. Talano Hufanga is a really special kind of talent. Uh, yeah, that's nasty. He also led the team in tackles, I believe. Um, but he had some injury issues as well. Um, but apparently he's like legit, which I mean, <laughs> if I, I don't I don't pay a lot of attention to the back 12, but I remember this guy being a problem because <laughs> He would just destroy people over in the middle of the field or something and, and get a turnover for for um, the, the Trojans. But the Trojans' defense, other outside of that, is really lacking. They gave up almost 30 points a game to whoever they played last year, and that ranked them 101st in the FBS. Um, and that's that's pretty awful. Um, and uh, Actually, that was 101st in the FBS, allowing gains of greater than 10 yards, which, uh, honestly, that's – horrific um you can't do that if you're usc so it's gonna be you know vital for them to be able to stop that big playability from opposing offenses yeah that's the thing too especially especially if they lose jay Tafelli. i haven't read any reports that um that he was coming back because he i think he was one of the first guys in the pac-12 to opt out if they lose him that's huge and like they're they've got a lot of upperclassmen on their defensive side of the ball too. And you mentioned like 101 FBS, like their, their offense is set. Like you mentioned their wide receiver room, their defense outside of guys like Jay Tafeli, Talano Hufanga. I mean, there's, I don't want to say there's really question marks, but there's guys there that aren't po as polished as their other positions. Right. And a lot of the problem was it's not like they don't have guys who have who don't have playing time there or right. anything like that or the experience because they do. I mean, I mean, some of a couple guys are freshmen, but I mean, Jay Tufel Tufeli is a junior himself. Um, that's why he was out. I mean, the secondary they have plenty of depth in the secondary. You got Elijah Griffin, Chris Steele, Isaac Taylor Stewart, all like grew as the year went at the corner position, and then you have. Um, uh, Greg Johnson, who you know you can play as another, you know, nickelback or whatever you want to call it, depending on what they want to run. So, I mean, ultimately for them to get the most out of the talent that they have, they're going to have to run, you know, a three-man front on the defensive line to be able to – so they're going to have to run these, you know, nickelback um, packages all the time and dime packages all the time just to be able to utilize the amount of talent that they have in that backfield because – if you can get the most out of that talent on that backfield, it will be scary. And I guarantee you, you will not allow, you know, those big plays that ranked you 101st in the nation last year. Yeah. And like, I don't, I, I, I don't even think their defense was like the worst in the Pac-12, but their defense was like sitting right in the middle of the Pac-12. But yeah, their defense, um, there are more, a lot more question marks, I should say, than their offense. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, it's not necessarily question marks. It's just, we need to see more honestly. So that, that leads us to question them as a whole unit, not individual players. Cause they're there. We just haven't seen it from them. So, I mean, ultimately I, I really like, like I would love for like my team to have this roster just based off of the pure talent that's there. We just got to see, 
this new coaching staff that, you know, Clay Helton's, you know, revamped with, is that going to work for them? Um, I hope it does because USC could be one of the better teams in the Pac-12. I would, it's a great, it's a great roster. So um, we'll go ahead and take a look at the schedule while we're here. Go ahead and pull it up for you guys. <clears throat> let me see. Let me see. All right. And there we go. All right. So you start us off with the schedule, Sam. So this is another schedule that USC kind of lucked out. I don't really think they have a tough schedule. I have them going five and one. Um, and I have their loss being to Utah. And we know that Utah has, or I'm sorry. Um, well, one, Utah had the top, Utah has the, had the top defense in 2019. And two, we know how talented USC's offense is, but I think I, I just think Utah's defense or Utah's offense will be a little bit too much for that USC defense. And Utah's offense ranked amongst the top half of the Pac-12. I think it was in the top five, if I remember correctly. Um, I, I just think over. I think overall, it's going to be a game where they're going to get a little bit outcoached. And I think I think Utah's offense is going to be a little bit too much for that USC defense. Like we kind of alluded to, there's a lot of, there's a lot of positional areas on that Trojan defense that we have yet to see. Like we don't know how we have yet to see how polished they really are outside of, you know, their front defensive line and their secondary core. Uh, but I've got them going five and one ultimately losing to Utah. Yeah. I, I don't mind that at all. I also have the Trojans going five and one. I have a different loss and it's the first game of the year versus Arizona state. Um, I love Arizona State's quarterback. I love what Herm's doing with that team. And Arizona State's offense has hummed uh, the past two seasons. Has probably exceeded everybody's expectations as a head coach um, there in the Pac-12 and at Arizona State. And that'll be, you know, the game that USC kind of has to try and figure out their defense overall. So I think that's going to be one where it's probably going to be close, but Arizona State's going to win by like, a last second touchdown or, or a field goal late or, or something like that, just because, you know, USC hasn't quite figured out that defensive side of the ball from the past season. But I think after that, I think they like, are like, all right, we we've, we've, you know, taken our lumps this first game. We know what to do now. We've talked, we've, we've communicated on that side of the ball. We know what we're supposed to be doing. And from there on the rest of the season, I think they'll be able to handle most of these teams. Utah is going to be a test, I believe as well. And on the road, it's not going to be easy there, but I think they probably get that one done with it coming off of, you know, an Arizona game right before then. So um, I like, I like USC going five and one, that should put them, you know, within the top 20 come, you know, final rankings. So that'll move us into your interesting matchup. And that is Arizona State. I hope you're reading this pair. I hope you're watching this, Perry. This is this <laughs> is your team. And I mentioned this in the chat. I think Jaden Daniels is one of the most underrated college football quarterbacks, um, football or one of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football. His freshman year alone, he had over 200 or 2,900 passing yards and 17 touchdowns. His mobility is very promising, and I love what he's able to be. What he's able to do with that—three touchdowns on the ground and 355 yards—that um, is a really intriguing process, or really intriguing quarterback. There, um, they lose Brandon Ayuk, um, their last quarterback before Jaden Daniels was uh, Manny Wilkins, and then you bring in um, Jaden Daniels. They lost Brandon Ayuk, who was a yards after catch machine, um, probably one of the most impressive yards after catch guys. Um, in this wide receiver draft class. Um, but Arizona State's really been starting to produce some, some stud receivers. Um, I was actually just reading earlier, they recruited Elijah Badger, um, a wide receiver. He was ruled ineligible I think, today or yesterday. Um, but the one name that I'm thinking of is Frank Darby. Um, but yeah, I mean, Arizona State, almost kind of has like a lot of those underrated prospects and it starts with Jaden Daniels. Yeah. I love him. I, I can't be high enough on Jaden Daniels. I love him. I think he's going to be a great, you know, NFL prospect time to you know, head to the NFL, his intangibles, his, his materialism, um, just world for such a young guy, um, his ability to, you know, play a little backyard football when it, when it's needed. Um, he slings it. He makes the big play when big plays needed. It's, 
And uh, Herm's handed him the keys. I, I saw a quote mm-hmm. saying that he's like, like, he's the guy. He's He's got full control of the room before everybody else. He's on the practice field before anybody else. He understands the whole team is built around him, and he's going to be the one that leads them. And he's just a huge leader. Um, I mean, what else can you say about this kid other than what he's doing? It, it's just – it's so awesome to see. Like, I never would have expected that from – an Arizona state quarterback or even, you know, Herm Edwards putting that amount of trust into, you know, a young college quarterback to be able to do those things. But um, Herm cleaned house with coordinators this offseason, um, a new offensive coordinator coming in from Boise State, Zach Hill, um, defensive coordinator left to go to New Mexico. So, I mean, head coach or former NFL head coach Marvin Lewis is there, going to be a co-coordinator along with Antonio Pierce, um, who's <laughs> – it, it's just an NFL team uh, who's recording, <laughs> recruiting, and you know, coaching for the for the Sun Devils. So it'll be interesting to see how that meshes. I expect you know a little bit of bumps early on in the season, just because it's it's gonna happen with new coaches and everything. But honestly, the loss of Brandon Ayuk isn't the only loss they had. They had you know Benjamin. They lost at the running back position as well. Um, so that's a huge loss for them too. But they also bring in. I mean, other centerpieces besides that, like you were, you mentioned Frank Darby, who every time he seemed to catch the ball, it was a big play. So um, he's coming back and he led the conference last year in yards per catch and touchdowns per reception. So that right there goes ahead and shows you like he's going to be the real deal on the outside. They've got two highly regarded freshman running backs, Daniel Nagata and DeMonte Trianum. Um, and then they signed perhaps some of the best wide receiver class in a long time. Uh, freshman slot receiver LV Bunkley Shelton. It's going to be deep. Um, in the offensive line, they got two huge transfers: um, a Texas A&M grad transfer Kellen uh, Deesh and Stanford grad transfer Henry Hydes. So those are two great places to pull, you know, transfer offensive linemen from the SEC and Stanford. So I mean, that's big for them. Um, and then you know, sophomore guard uh, Donovan West is returning, and he's probably the top unit or top guy from that unit returning. So. Um, that offense likes to use a lot of motions, a lot of tight end sets, a lot of, you know, um, audibles, getting the defensive defense to guess at what they're doing. And it's going to create problems for these, uh, these defenses ultimately. Yeah. And I forgot to write, uh, I forgot to mention, you know, Benjamin. So thank you for bringing that up. I, I wrote an article about the Arizona Cardinals, about you know, Benjamin being perhaps maybe the hit the gem of the draft because the, the Arizona Cardinals, we know they're running back room right now. We don't know their future. Kenny Drake's playing under a franchise tag. I think, you know, Benjamin has the talent to compete in their backfield long-term. And I think when I was, you know, studying him, I think the big thing was his blocking, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he's capable of competing or he's capable of producing in the passing game as well. And that's something Cardinals running backs, that's something Cardinals fall in love with, with their running backs. They fell in love with that early with David Johnson. Unfortunately, he, he went down with injuries. Um, future of that backfield. Preach that, Al. Alex. I, I love Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin. Eno Benjamin was one of my favorite running backs in this comp, like in this draft class, um, in terms of like, like gems, like deep down under the radar. Um, I think I, I think he should have been the guy that was should have been talked about more. Um, but I mean, Kenyon Drake's capable of producing in the passing game. We've seen a little bit of Chase Edmonds. I mean, I think you know, ben- I think you know, Benjamin's going into a really nice situation. Like he might be the RB three right now, but he definitely has the talent to compete in that backfield long term. And you mentioned some of those recruits already that the ASU already brought in. Yeah, and then I mean, outside of the offense, I'm not too worried. Besides, you know, when it comes to the the coordination of it, based on the coaching there. But you head over to their defense side of the ball, and I mean, the question there could be the coaching as well, but you look at their defense and it's absolutely stacked with experience. Um, They're transitioning from a three, three, five to a more prototypical four, three with the addition of Marvin Lewis there. So, um, I mean, that's, you're going to have an extra depth piece there on that, or you'll have to start an extra person up there on that line, but that's good because they've got so much experience on the line. um, So much experience at linebacker, so much experience on, on at the, in the secondary as well. Like, I, I can't even go out and name all these names right now just because they are absolutely stacked on on at, at every level of their defense. And ultimately, I, I expect them to probably have the best defense in the Pac-12 this year. 
Yeah, and this is another team in the Pac-12 that did not lose a whole lot on their defensive side of the ball. Now, obviously, we mentioned their top guy that they lost was Brandon Ayuk, along with you know Benjamin. I mean, they're returning guys like DJ Davidson. I think the linebacker what was his Darian Butler was the other guy that I was thinking of. Um, I mean, they're, they're like you mentioned, they're, they're they're bringing back like top-notch talent. It's ridiculous. Uh, I like I wanted mm-hmm. to name off people, and I just can't even do it. I mean, I mean, it's going to be ridiculous what they're going to be able to do, especially moving from a three, three, five to a four, three, you're putting these athletes in better position to be able to make plays at a more natural position for them. So that's going to be huge for, you know, Marvin Lewis and Pierce to let these guys, you know, let them loose, if you will, and let them, you know, go out and make the plays that they're going to be required to make this season. So I think it's going to be real, real fun to watch that Arizona state team. But um, speaking of that, let's go ahead and jump into their schedule. I'm going to go ahead and pull that up right now for us. All right. And there we go. So you want to go ahead and start us off? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, ASU again has the, one of the most underrated quarterbacks in college football, a lot of returning guys, especially at key positions. They lost Ayuk, but they had also like USC had the talent to, you know, like replace, replace Ayuk. Um, but ultimately, I would say my most intriguing game for this is the opener against USC. Um, think about this one. Um, <laughs> I, I want to go five and one or four and two. Okay. I'm going to go four and two, and I'm going to go. My two losses are going to be Cal and Utah. I love Cal's defense. I know you're, you mentioned earlier that you had high praise on Cal as well. Um, Utah. I mean, I, I think this is another game. I love what Herm Edwards is really building over at ASU. Um, but I think this is a game even more than I what did I say with you or my other USC. I think I think ASU might even get a little bit more out coached than um, you know USC. Um, but I, I think they go four and two, and I think their losses are going to come to um, Utah and California. Um, but USC is also another intriguing game, so I, I wouldn't call this a really easy schedule, but I would call it average. I think they have the capability of having an even or a winning record. Yeah, I think it's it's a very average um, schedule as well. Pretty much, I forget who we were talking about a little bit ago. It might have been USC, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I already said that I had Arizona State winning that game versus USC because of you know all of the circumstances over there. Um, so I think they go five and one, and I think my loss is going to be to Cal, um, like the one you were talking about earlier. I'm I'm a little bit higher on this Cal team than a lot of people are. Um, as well. So I like that. Um, but, uh, I think the reason behind this is, you know, that USC game is going to be a real big one for them. Um, I think Herm's going to have the boys real hyped up and everything. So after that, you can see them, you know, if they get that win, they're just going to kind of be, you know, on a high horse and they're going to go in that next game. Like, all right, we beat USC, we can beat anybody. And then, you know, usually that's a letdown game after a big win. Um, I know we've seen it happen multiple times and, Cal's not a team to take lightly, um, in my opinion. So I'm five and one losing to Cal. So obviously my most intriguing game for them is going to be that Cal game because they could go six and oh, just depending on how well these coaches mesh with, you know, the talent that they do have. And if it's just going to be a seamless transition into the season, um, this could be Herm Edwards year to, you know, take the pack 12. So we'll <laughs> see if he can do it. And then that brings us to our last team. And that is going to be the Utah, Utah, um, Utes. Utes. Blanked for a second there. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, the Utah Utes. So um, Utah, um, they were being smacked by Texas in the Alamo Bowl last time we saw them. Um, They got overwhelmed by Oregon in the the Pac-12 championship. Um, They started 11-1, played great, and then just went downhill from there. I don't know if they got too much on their high horse. they're losing a lot of players. Uh, Tyler Huntley's gone, all 12 quarterback. Um, Zach Moss, obviously, we all know, is now with the Buffalo Bills and one of their, you know, two-headed monsters up there in New York. So, um, and they also lose Bradley Anay, who is the leading sack leader for them. So how is head coach Kyle Whittingham going to replace, like, these key pieces that helped them get to that 11-3 and mark last season? Yeah, and they also lost, I mean, if you look at their defensive line, they've got some big boys. Lucky Foda was another guy. Lucky Foda was a run stuffer. And 
Lucky Foda didn't really produce this. He didn't doesn't really have the speed to be that efficient pass rusher. Um, but he's a body on the field, and he's a guy that you do not want to mess with if he's on that field. And I think he has the talent to like be potentially an elite run stuffer in the NFL and potentially maybe polish up his passing game a little bit. Cause that to me is a little bit of a, that's my biggest weakness of him, but he, he produced at such a high level. There's another guy that like right next to him. I don't recall his name. Um, he, he was lined right next to like Fodu. Um, and, um, those guys like produce at such a high level and, so that D line in Utah, like they're just big hosses. And uh, the quarterback, Tyler Huntley, pretty decent shoes to fill. They also bring in a grad transfer from South Carolina, Jake Bentley. Um, also, some pretty promising stats. I think it was just under, it was either just under 2,900 or I think it was just over 3,000 yards um, in his most recent season at South Carolina. Um, so it's a pretty promising quarterback. I don't remember him being overly efficient in the ground game, which isn't obviously always a bad thing. Justin Herbert was an elite quarterback. I think Justin Herbert had the strongest arm in the draft um, in this, in this year's draft. Um, but I mean, this team is always a team that, you know, I, I almost view them as a little bit overrated because they have all these studs and with the talent they have, they end up being in what the top five, top seven. And then by the end of the season, thereby like they're like outside of the top 10 appreciate it perry <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh yeah i mean i the big i think tyler Huntley's a pretty big loss to zach moss um bradley and nay like you mentioned that's probably their biggest loss on their defense um but jake bentley is one of the guys on their offense that's going to be the key the keys are his i mean he's the grad transfer he has the experience he's going up against like even a little bit a weaker talent. He went from in the SEC, arguably the not only the best conference in college football, but the conference that's the most similar to the NFL. So he's going up again, like he's taking a regress of you know talent and opponents. So I think he has that experience to play really well in that Utah offense. Yeah, he definitely does. I'm, I'll start where you started, and that's the defensive side of the ball. So Utah had a, a huge veteran presence on their defense last year. They lost nine starters on that defensive side of the ball. We've already named one of them, but they also lose or lost junior cornerback Jalen Johnson to the NFL yep. and mm-hmm. uh, Nickelback and Guidry to the NFL as well. So Whittingham's got, you know <laughs> – his job cut out for him this year when it comes to the defensive side of the ball because usually that's what Utah hangs their hat on. You know, they're very solid on that side. They do bring back a lot of pieces, but not a lot of starting, you know, experience there. So, I mean, um, Bronson Boyd and Jarvis brought in early favorites to fill those quarterback spots. Um, there's other positions as well. With I think you were talking about um, who was next to Ine. It was Micah Tuafa. Um, Maybe that's what I'm thinking of, but there's Lucky Photo as well. Yep. Right, right. And so um, he's an honorable mention Pac-12 player at right end last year in his redshirt sophomore season. So um, you also I get a redshirt. in high school, too. He played rugby. Yeah. He was recruited as a rugby player. Man. Right. And so, like, he's, he's going to be good. Um, Devin Lloyd, you know, filling that linebacker spot <clears> and who led the team last year with 91 tackles is a good spot to start as well. So if they can get these uh, younger guys who don't have all that starting experience on the same page as, you know, these other guys that ha- had do have it, um, those other two, <laughs> um, then, yeah, it, it won't be that big of an issue. The problem here is their offense. Um, I know they got Jake Bentley from South Carolina, but he's nothing, you know, special in my opinion. And he was actually in a quarterback battle before COVID with Cameron Rising. So, we don't really technically know which way they're mm-hmm. leaning when it does come to their quarterback room. And they also have to find a running back. They don't have um, like anybody who got touches behind Zach Moss. Zach Moss was the guy. So, I mean, you got to split touches, I'm assuming, between, you know, Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore and see where you go from there. And then you've got some some incoming guy um, that we don't really know about. And it's just going to have to be by committee um, to get good thing, positive news for Utah on the offensive side of the ball is they're pretty much the same as they were when it comes to, you know, the outside players and it comes to their wide receiver room. So that that's good. Um, Brent Covey slot receivers an animal um, got a red shirt last year after recovering from a knee injury. So that's good. 
Um, and then some veteran options out there as well. Solomon Ennis, downfield threat. Um, and then Samson Neku- Nakua um, should be also in the mix there too on the offensive side of the ball. But um, ultimately, I don't know if Whittingham's going to be able to get these guys ready, um, especially with no spring. That really hurts, in my opinion, and not being able to get these guys meshed out to where you want them to be and get them all on one cohesive level when it comes to their defensive side of the ball. Um, their strategies and their schemes should be just as good as normal. It's just about these guys being able to buy in and, you know, be one cohesive unit with each other. Yeah, definitely. And if you look at their statistics, I mean, they're, they had a top notch offense, um, actually top five, actually, I was right at five. I was right on that. But um, (laughs) Tyler Huntley, obviously a pretty decent loss. And you mentioned Jake Bentley going into QB competition. So we don't know if it'll be quarterback by committee or he won't name the starter until week one. Um, but their stats, it, I'll just read them off right here. They're not like overly far off. So passing yards per game, average was 227. The rushing was 201. And it, they were a little bit more efficient in the passing game. So it's a little, over 3,100 and over 2,800 in the rushing. So they're not too far off. They're like very close to even a little bit more efficient in the passing game. Um, but like you mentioned, Zach Moss was their workhorse running back. And mm-hmm. that's pretty big shoes to fill. Huge shoes to fill. Um, so now that we've talked about the players, let's go ahead and jump into their football schedule so we can end it up for tonight. And here we go. Um, feel free to lead us off. See, all the points we kind of gave on this team, it's like a hit or miss season. And they lost a lot, um, a lot of key positions. So I'm going to have them beating Arizona. I've got them beating UCLA. I've already got them beating the other two. I I, I think their most intriguing game um, comes between either Utah or UC, USC or ASU. And I think this team goes 6-0. and um, I think they have the talent. I think, um, what did they average? I think it was like 129 of offense a game. Um, but they had the best defense. They had the best defense in, um, in the Pac-12 last year. And... I'm kind of torn on what my intriguing game is going to be. Um, let me, I'll go Keaton Slovis because Keaton Slovis is a guy that, or USC, because Keaton Slovis, oh, it is tough because both these guys already have a year under their belt. Um, let me go, I'll, I'll go ASU because I think that'll be a little bit more of a, like a defensive battle. I don't see it being overly high scoring. Utah lost some key positions. Um, but at the same time, ASU has got a lot coming back. So I imagine that being a lot closer as well than people think. And then I guess I'll just make my point on USC as my second choice being Utah has lost a lot of key positions, very similar to what we kind of alluded to talking about USC um, in terms of not having guys polished enough, or we have yet to see that full potential of some other, some other, uh, some of those other positions. So I think that's another game that could potentially be close, but ultimately I think this team goes six and oh, but I think the biggest question mark, is their quarterback. I think it's, I, we have yet to see if it's going to be Jake Bentley um, or by committee or if they don't announce it until week one. Um, so this is a very interesting team. So I, I think they go 6-0. and But it wouldn't wow. just surprise me if one of those two teams ends up upsetting them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I was actually shocked to hear you say that after our whole conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am going 4-2. and two. Um, I have them beating Arizona. I have them beating UCLA. I have them beating Oregon State and Colorado. And my losses are to SC and Arizona State. Um, I just think they have a relatively easy schedule besides those two games. Colorado is mm-hmm. not anything to, you know, hype up about. Neither is Arizona, neither is Oregon State. UCLA is trying to get back to a better football team than they have been in the recent past. So um, my interesting game, though, is that UCLA game, second game of the year, because like I said, USC is coming up, and it to me it seems like Utah's going down this year. So that'll be an interesting one. That'll keep them at four and two, or or three and three, in my opinion, at a five hundred team. So um, six and zero. Oh, I I don't know how uh, you could do that, but I mean, if you trust in Winningham uh, and and getting them together that quickly, then then so be it. I just I don't really view this schedule as tough. I mean, the only two games that really stuck out um, were the USC and. Um, ASU, Oregon State, like you mentioned. Colorado's an interesting one. Um, it's a really – obviously, their big loss, so I know we're not talking about them, but their big loss was LaVisca Chanel, who, who dealt with it throughout the course of his college career, which 
to me is a, is a red flag if you're dealing with those injuries right away. But LaVisca Chanel is a very talented player. Obviously, he was drafted by the Jags in the second round um, in this year's draft. But conversation for another time. But, yeah. Yeah, well, that'll do it. That's going to wrap up our Pac-12 season record predictions um, for the Pac-12. I'm looking forward to it. Maybe we'll get some better play out of them. You and I aren't necessarily high on that conference, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Um, I think they've probably got better teams than both you and I, you know, can just see from the outside looking in and we just kind of talked about it. So um, anything else you want to, you want to say before, before we get going? Uh, No, I mean, it's been great talking these predictions. Um, We've got some pretty exciting things planned. I can't wait to talk about it. Um, But yeah, I mean, stay tuned. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. We're probably going to, hop on a Zoom call or something, have a nice little meeting, see where we're going um, here in the future. But again, thank you, um, Unwrap Sports Network, for having us, um, bringing Saturday standouts to the live lineup. Go to mybookie.ag if you're a betting man like myself. Get that uh, double first deposit with USN100 and then also the RX Hemp cream at rxhemp.com. Use code rxhemp-USN for 10% off every single purchase. So um, thank you, Sam, and we'll be talking soon.